Chapter 7 of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter 7 Coming Home. Without being at all an unfaithful friend, it must be confessed Pitt's mind during this time was full of the things pertaining to his own new life, and he thought little of Esther. He thought little of anybody. He was not at a sentimental age, nor at all of a sentimental disposition, and he had enough else to occupy him. It was not till he had put the college behind him and was on his journey home that Esther's image rose before his mental vision, the first time perhaps for months. It smote him then with a little feeling of compunction. He recollected the child's sensitive nature, her clinging to him, her lonely condition, and the grave, sad eyes seemed to reproach him with having forgotten her. He had not forgotten her. He had only not remembered. He might have taken time to write her one little letter, but he had not thought of it. Had she ceased to think of him in any corresponding way? Pitt was very sure she had not. Somehow, his fancy was very busy with Esther during this journey home. He was making amends for months of neglect. Her delicate, tender, faithful image seemed to stand before him. Forgetfulness would never be charged upon Esther, nor carelessness of anything she ought to care for. Of that he was sure. He was quite ashamed of himself that he had sent her never a little token of remembrance in all this time. He recalled the girl's eagerness in study, her delight in learning, her modest, well-bred manner, her evident, though unconscious, loving devotion to himself, and her profound grief at his going away. There were very noble qualities in that young girl that would develop, into what might they develop? And how would those beautiful, thoughtful eyes look from a woman's soul by and by? Had his mother complied with his request and shown any kindness to the child? Pitt had no special encouragement to think so. And what a life it must be for such a creature, at twelve years old, to be alone with that taciturn, reserved, hypochondriac colonel? It was near evening when the stagecoach brought Pitt to his native village and set him down at home. There was no snow on the ground yet, and his steps rang on the hard frozen path as he went up to the door, giving clear intimation of his approach. Within there was waiting. The mother and father were sitting at the two sides of the fireplace, busy with keeping up the fire to an unmaintainable standard of brilliancy, and looking at the clock now and then exchanging a remark about the weather, the way, the distance, and the proper time of the expected arrival, till that sharp sound of a step on the gravel came to their ears, and both parents started up and rushed to the door. There was a general confusion of kisses and handclasps and embraces, from which Pitt at last emerged. "'Oh, my boy, how late you are! Not at all, mother, just right!' A tedious cold ride, hadn't you? No, mother, not at all. Roads in capital order, smooth as a plank floor, 
came along splendidly, but there'll be snow tomorrow. Oh, I hope not, till you get the greens. Oh, I'll get the greens, never fear, and put them up too. Wherewith they entered the brilliantly lighted room, where the supper table stood ready, and all eyes could meet eyes, and read tokens each of the other's condition. He looks well, said Mrs. Dallas, regarding her son. Why shouldn't I look well? Hard work, suggested the mother. Work is good for a fellow. I never got hard work enough yet. But home is jolly, mother. That's the use of going away, I suppose, said the young man, drawing a chair comfortably in front of the fire, while Mrs. Dallas rang for supper and gave orders, and then sat down to gaze at him with those mother's eyes that are like nothing else in the world. Searching, fond, proud, tender, devoted. Pitt met them and smiled. I'm all right, he said. Look so, said the father contentedly. Hold your own, Pitt. Yes, sir. Ahead of everybody? Yes, sir, said the young man, a little more reservedly. I knew it said the elder man, rubbing his hands. I thought I knew it. I made sure you would. He hasn't worked too hard either, said the mother, with a careful eye of examination. He looks as he ought to look. A bright glance of the eye came to her. I tell you, I never had enough to do yet, he said. And Pitt, do like it. Like what, mother? The place, and the work, and the people, the students. And the professors? That's what I should call a comprehensive question. You expect one yes or no to cover all that? Well, how do you like the people? Mother, when you get a community like that of a college town, you have something of a variety of material, don't you see? The people are all sorts, but the faculty are very well, and some of them capital fellows. Have you gone into society much? No, mother, had something else to do. Time enough for that, said the elder Dallas contentedly. When a man has the money you'll have, my boy, he may pretty much command society. Some sorts, said Pitt. All sorts. Must be a poor kind of society, I should say, that makes money the first thing. It's the best sort you can get in this world, said the elder man, chuckling. There's nothing but money that will buy bread and butter, and they all want bread and butter. You'll find they all want bread and butter, whatever else they want, or have. Of course they want it, but what has that to do with society? You'll find out, said the other, with an unctuous kind of complacency. But there's no society in this country, said Mrs. Dallas. Now, Pitt, turn your chair round. Here's the supper. Do you want to sit by the fire, that is? The supper was a royal one, for Mrs. Dallas was a good housekeeper, and the tone of it was festive, for the spirits of them all were in a very gay and Christmas mood. So it was with a good deal of surprise, as well as chagrin, that Mrs. Dallas, after supper, saw her son handling his greatcoat in the hall. Pitt, you're not going out. Yes, mother, for a little while. Where can you be going? I want to run over to Colonel Gainsborough's for a minute or two. Colonel 
Gainsborough, you don't want to see him tonight. Neither tonight nor any time. At least, I can live without it. But there's somebody else there that would like to see me. I'll be back soon, mother. But, Pitt, that is quite absurd. That child can wait till morning, surely. And I want you myself. I think I have a better claim. You have had me a good while already, and she'll have me again, said Pitt, laughing. I'm just going to steal a little bit of the evening, mother. Be generous. And he opened the hall door and was off, and the door closed behind him. Mrs. Dallas went back to the supper room with a very discomfited face. Hildebrand, she said, in a tone that made her husband look up, there is no help for it. We shall have to send him to England. What now? Just what I told you. He's off to see that child. Off like the north wind, and no more to be held. That's nothing new. He never could be held. Pity we didn't name him Boreas. But do you see what he is doing? No. He is off to see that child. That child today and another tomorrow. He's a boy yet. Hildebrand, I tell you there is danger. Danger of what? Of what you would not like. My dear, young men do not fall dangerously in love with children, and that little girl is a child yet. You forget how soon she will not be a child, and she is going to be a very remarkable-looking girl, I can tell you. And you must not forget another thing, husband, that Pitt is as persistent as he is willful. He's got a head, I think, said Mr. Dallas, stroking his whiskers thoughtfully. That won't save him. It never saved anybody. Men with heads are just as much fools, in certain circumstances, as men without them. He might fancy some other child in England if we sent him there, you know. Yes, but at least she would be a churchwoman, said Mrs. Dallas, with her handsome face all cloudy and disturbed. Meanwhile, her son had rushed along the village street, or road rather, through the cold and darkness, the quarter of a mile, to Colonel Gainsborough's house. There he was told that the Colonel had a bad headache and was already gone up to his room. Is Miss Esther up? Oh, yes, sir, said Mrs. Barker doubtfully, but she did not invite the visitor in. Can I see her for a moment? I haven't no orders, but I suppose you can come in, Mr. Dallas. It is Mr. Dallas, ain't it? Yes, it's I, Mrs. Barker, said Pitt, coming in and beginning at once to throw off his greatcoat. In the usual room? Is the Colonel less well than common? Well, no, sir, not to call less well, as I knows on. It is the time of year, sir, I make bold to imagine. He has a headache bad, that he has, and he's gone off to bed. But Miss Esther's, well... So as she can be. Pitt got out of his great coat and gloves and waited for no more. He had a certain vague expectation of the delight his appearance would give and was a little eager to see it. So he went in with a bright face to surprise Esther. The girl was sitting by the table reading a book she had laid close under the lamp, reading with a very grave face Pitt saw too and it a little sobered the brightness of his own. It was not the dullness of stagnation or of sorrow this time, at least Esther was certainly busily reading, but it was sober, steady business, 
not the absorption of happy interest or excitement. She looked up carelessly as the door opened, then half incredulously as she saw the entering figure. Then she shut her book and rose to meet him. But then she did not show the lively pleasure he had expected. Her face flushed a little. She hardly smiled. She met him as if he were more or less a stranger, with much more dignity and less eagerness than he was accustomed to from her. Pitt was astonished and piqued and curious. However, he followed her lead in a measure. How do you do, Queen Esther? he said, holding out his hand. How do you do, Pitt? she answered, taking it, but with the oddest mingling of reserve and doubt in her manner, and the great grave eyes were lifted to his face for a moment, with, it seemed to him, something of an inquiry or questioning in them. Are you not glad to see me? Yes, she said, with another glance. Then why are you not glad to see me? he asked impetuously. I am glad to see you, of course she said. Won't you sit down? This won't do, you know, said the young man, half vexed and half laughing, but wholly determined not to be kept at a distance in this manner. I am not going to sit down if you are going to treat me like that. Treat you how? Why, as if I were a stranger that you didn't care a pin about. What's the matter, Queen Esther? Esther was silent. Pitt was half indignant, and then he caught the shimmer of something like moisture in the eyes, which were looking away from him to the fire, and his mood changed. What is it, Esther? he said kindly. Take a seat, Your Majesty, and I'll do the same. I see there is some talking to be done here. He took the girl's hand and put her in her chair, and himself drew up another near. Now, what's the matter, Esther? Have you forgotten me? No, she said, but I thought perhaps you had forgotten me. What made you think that? You were gone away, she said, hesitating. You were busy, Papa said. What did he say? He said, probably I would never see you much more. But here the tears came to view undeniably, welled up and filled the eyes and rolled over. Esther brushed them hastily away. And I hadn't the decency to write to you? Had that something to do with it? I thought, if you had remembered me, you would perhaps have written just a little word, Esther confessed, with some hesitation and difficulty. Pitt was more touched and sorry than he would have supposed before that such a matter could make him. Look here, Esther, he said. There are two or three things I want you to take note of. The first is that you must never judge by appearances. Why not? asked Esther, considering him and this statement together. Because they are deceptive. They mislead. Do they? Very frequently. What is one to judge by then? Depends. In this case, by your knowledge of the person concerned. Esther looked at him, and a warmer shine came into her eye. Yes, she said, I thought it was not like you to forget, but then Papa said I would not be likely to see much more of you, ever. 
Esther got the words out with some difficulty, without, however, breaking down. And I thought, I had to get accustomed to doing without you, and I had better do it. Why should you not see much more of me? Pitt demanded energetically. You would be going away. And coming back again. But going to England, perhaps. Who said that? I don't know. I think Mrs. Dallas told Papa. Well, now look here, Queen Esther, Pitt said more moderately. I told you in the first place you are not to judge by appearances. Do you see that you have been mistaken in judging me? She looked at him, a look that moved him a good deal. There was so much wistfulness in it, so much desire revealed to find him what she had found him in times past, along with the dawning hope that she might. Yes, said he, nodding, you have been mistaken, and I did not expect it of you, Queen Esther. I don't think I am changeable, but anyhow, I haven't changed towards you. I have but just got home this evening, and I ran away from home and my mother as soon as we had done supper, that I might come and see you. Esther smiled. She was pleased, he saw. And in the next place, as to that crotchet of your not seeing much more of me, I can't imagine how it ever got up. But it isn't true, anyhow. I expect you'll see an immense deal of me. I may go some time to England. About that I can't tell. But if I go, I shall come back again, supposing I am alive. And now, do you see that it would be very foolish of you to try to get accustomed to doing without me, for I shall not let you do it. I don't want to do it, said Esther confidingly, for you know I have nobody else except you and Papa. What put such an absurd notion in your head? You are a stoic, Queen Esther. You look like it. What is a stoic? The sort of people that bite a nail in two and smile as if it were a stick of peppermint candy. I didn't know there were any such people. No, naturally, so it won't do for you to try to imitate them. But I was not trying anything like that. What were you trying to do then? Esther hesitated. I thought, I must do without you, and so I thought I had better not think about you. Did you succeed? Not very well, but I suppose I could in time. See, you don't. What do you think in that case I should do? Oh, you, said Esther, that is different. I thought you would not care. Did you? You did me honour. Now, Queen Esther, let us understand this matter. I do care, and I am going to care, and I shall always care. Do you believe it? I always believe what you say, said the girl, with a happy change in her face which touched Pitt again curiously. Somehow, the contrast between his own strong, varied, rich and active life, with its abundance of resources and enjoyments, careless and satisfied, and this little girl alone at home with her cranky father, and no variety or change or outlook or help, struck him painfully. It would hardly have struck most young men, but Pitt, with all his rollicking waywardness and self-pleasing, had a fine fibre in him which could feel things. Then Esther's nature, he knew, was one rich in possibilities, 
to which life was likely to bring great joy or great sorrow, more probably both. What book have you got there? he asked suddenly. Book? Oh, the Bible. The Bible? That's something beyond your comprehension, isn't it? No, said Esther. What made you think it was? Always heard it wasn't the thing for children. What set you at that, Queen Esther? Reading about your namesake? I have read about her. I wasn't reading about her tonight. What were you after, then? It's Mamma's Bible, said Esther rather slowly, and she used to say it was the best place to go for comfort. Comfort? What do you want comfort for, Esther? Nothing now, she said with a smile. I am so glad you are come. What did you want comfort for, then? said he, taking her hand and holding it while he looked into her eyes. I don't know. Papa had gone to bed and I was alone, and somehow it seemed lonesome. Will you go with me tomorrow after Christmas greens? Oh, may I? cried the girl, with such a flush of delight coming into eyes and cheeks and lips that Pitt was almost startled. I don't think I could enjoy it unless you came, and then you will help me dress the rooms. What rooms? Our rooms at home. And now, what have you been doing since I have been away? All shadows were got rid of, and there followed a half hour of most eager intercourse, questions and answers coming thick upon one another. Esther was curious to hear all that Pitt would tell her about his life and doings at college, and nothing loath, Pitt gave it her. It interested him to watch the play of thought and interest in the child's features as he talked. She comprehended him, and she seemed to take in without difficulty the strange nature and conditions of his college world. Do you have to study hard? she asked. That's as I please. One must study hard to be distinguished. And you will be distinguished, won't you? What do you think? Do you care about it? Yes, I care, said Esther slowly. You were not anxious about me? No, she said, smiling. Papa said you would be sure to distinguish yourself. Did he? I am very much obliged to Colonel Gainsborough. What for? Why, for his good opinion. But he couldn't help his opinion, said Esther. Queen Esther, said Pitt, laughing. I don't know about that. People sometimes hold opinions they have no business to hold, and that they would not hold if they were not perverse-minded. Esther's face had all changed since he came in. The premature gravity and sadness was entirely dispersed. The eyes were full of beautiful light, the mouth taking a great many curves, corresponding to as many alternations and shades of sympathy, and a slight colour of interest and pleasure had risen in the cheeks. If Pitt had vanity to gratify, it was gratified. But he had something better. He had a genuine kindness and liking for the little girl, which had suffered absolute pain when he saw how his absence and silence had worked. Now the two were in full enjoyment of the old relations and the old intercourse when the door opened and Mrs. Barker's head appeared. Miss Esther, it's your time. Time for what? asked Pitt. It's my time for going to bed, said Esther, rising. I'll come, Mrs. Barker. 
"'Queen Esther, does that woman say what you are to do and not do?' said Pitt, in some indignation. "'Oh, no, but Papa, he likes me not to be up later than nine o'clock.' "'What has Barker to do with it? I think she wants putting in her place.' "'She always goes with me and attends to me. Yes, I must go,' said Esther. "'But the Colonel is not here to be disturbed. He would be disturbed if I didn't go at the right time. Good night, Pitt.' "'Well, till tomorrow,' said the young man, taking Esther's hand and kissing it. "'But this is what I call a very summary proceeding. "'Queen Esther, does your Majesty always do what you are expected to do "'and take orders from everybody?' "'No, only from Papa and you. "'Good night, Pitt. Yes, I'll be ready tomorrow.'" End of chapter 7